0: Let's talk about some NBA. Playoff basketball. All three playoff games from today we will be talking about. And let's begin with the series that my podcast partner, John Hollinger, and Hollinger and Duncan called the least interesting series. Non Nets and Magic Division. It was not the least interesting series today. This game was beautifully flawed, but featured some unbelievable exhibitions offensively. I couldn't have enjoyed it more.
1: It was it was fascinating to watch this from our perspective because I vacillated between just delight and awe at some of the shot making and stuff that was going on and just incredulity at what was facilitating some of that. And I I thought, I think that the whole, the whole thing all fits together. And so the incredible performance of Donovan Mitchell in this game, 57 points, 19 of 33 from the field, 13 of 13 from the line, also 6 of 15 from threes is pretty damn good for him. And I, 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 he was, he was awesome. And Take nothing away from him. But a part of the reason he was so awesome. Well,
0: uh, except about eight seconds. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll
1: get there. We'll get there. But a part of why he was so awesome was Denver running maybe the worst pick-and-roll defense I can remember seeing on this kind of a stage.
0: Well, and I don't know that it was necessarily scheme-based as just more personnel-based. And they we had talked in the preview about how what they were going to do, they do this all the time, is because of Nikola Jokic's weakness as a pick-and-roll defender, they bring him up to the level of the ball, try to make the ball handler get off the ball, and then you try to scramble around behind the play, and you've got Paul Millsap as a backline defender for that. But they said, no, you know what? Like, we don't believe that these Utah pick-and-roll ball handlers are that great. We're going to make them beat us and get downhill against Jokic, and we're going to play conservative, try to force them to not just get a bunch of open threes because we're putting two on the ball we're not gonna bail him out we're gonna make him beat us well uh donovan mitchell beat them in this game he finished around nikola Jokic every possible way in the lane it was the worst defensive game i've ever seen nikola Jokic play bar none he just had no effect i think he he maybe forced one miss at the rim all night what did the jazz shoot at the rim it must have just been something completely preposterous right
1: 18 of 29 it but they also the uh, count in their 23 free throws which actually yeah. for an overtime game isn't isn't totally crazy but yeah this was
0: actually not as bad as i thought i i yeah. will I, I take that back but but it certainly looked like whenever donovan mitchell got in the lane or any particularly him but any jazz ball handler they were going to be able to finish pretty well i i guess part of it too is that there were a further eight of 14 from floater range as well and some of those are yeah. pretty close but um as we'll get to some of it was that they were playing some weird lineups themselves but whenever they actually had shooting on the floor it really started to sing um but yeah let's talk more about about mitchell's night which was the third highest scoring game in nba history behind only michael jordan 63 which he did in double overtime and elgin baylor 61
1: and props to Elgin Baylor for being the only one of those three to have his team win the game. Not that Donovan Mitchell, other than that one thing, did did a lot to to cost his team. I mean, I thought that he he. I mean, yeah, I guess five turnovers, but I, I thought that Mitchell did an unbelievable job getting downhill and then taking advantage. And yes, a portion of that was Jokic being ineffective as a rim protector, and and there were. But Mitchell did a great job of taking what was being offered to him. And also, if if they reacted strongly to Mitchell he was finding teammates and they were yeah. getting good looks and that's a big part of why the jazz were you know they got up 47 threes in this game which is truly incredible it was an overtime game some of that was also jordan clarkson firing away at the beginning of the second quarter but i i thought that mitchell was offensively i thought that he was just fabulous
0: yeah and he was eight of ten at the rim as we look at it and then six of fifteen yeah. on above the break threes and Not only was it Jokic that they were attacking, they put Michael Porter in so many big either switching on to him, uh, or, I mean, Michael Porter couldn't even guard Joe Ingles, not to mention Donovan Mitchell, that they had to just take Michael Porter out. I thought that was actually an adjustment by Mike Malone, which really changed the game going to Monte Morris and P.J. Dozier, of all people, in the backcourt, and... I didn't think that those guys were going to be that much better. Like Mitchell went at Morris a couple of times too and scored on him. But I don't know whether it was Utah just believing that those guys could shoot. You know, Torrey Craig had fouled out as well. And they also took Millsap off the floor. So it was Murray, Morris, Dozier, Jeremy Grant, and Nikola Jokic down the end when Denver actually made a a big comeback and then took care of things in overtime as Utah just was atrocious offensively in the overtime. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I really think, you know, Donovan Mitchell is a very solid player and, when he hasn't had to play against the Houston Rockets he's had some really nice playoff performances and Denver other than Torrey Craig really doesn't have anyone at all who can pretend to match up with him and and he really had it working in ISO and pick and roll and also I think just being the unequivocal point guard when he was out there as well is he's always put up really nice stats when that's been the case less so as as an off-ball guy Uh, the overall offense maybe hasn't been as good in those circumstances but he has always put up amazing stats so yeah it was certainly a virtuoso performance for him but i mean we have to hit on the eight second violation now though
1: we do i mean so what i think what happened on the play was that if you remember it was they they actually inbounded the ball a kind of a second time because there was yeah. that there was basically a couple seconds had run off the clock and they had to inbound it they inbounded it again and Donovan Mitchell just lost track of time and remember we we actually let's get into the context here of how this happened Utah has the ball and is ahead by four points. And so basically it's then it's it's if it functionally I mean with about 2 minutes to go and I mean both teams are scoring pretty well at that point Mitchell had Mitchell had gotten a 3 they he'd, he'd set up Gobert for a dunk in that last like minute plus range and so you could still lose the game but it takes it takes some pretty severe yeah. stuff and they, then
0: they were going to be able to run the clock down to about a minute 20 and they would have had a chance uh, to score
1: Yeah and going up going up let's say it's 6 with a minute and a half to go, creates a whole bunch of other problems for the Nuggets because then they have to you have to start forcing more threes. And yeah, everything I, else. I mean
0: you're probably a solid you know 80 percent favorite in the game with a four point lead and the ball with like a minute 40 left.
1: Right, and then to and then not due to any like great pressure or anything from the Denver Nuggets, they turn it over and then mere seconds later, it's just like, it was just like lightning strikes. Jamal Murray drills a three, and then all of a sudden, what was a four point lead with the ball turns into a one point lead.
0: Well, and i think mitchell number one he was just kind of directing traffic of like what play he wanted to run from the backcourt and number two he just had an overall mindset of all right we're just going to waste time on this possession i think he just had it in his head that he had eight seconds to get it across and it in fact was six and then number three i think he was pretty darn exhausted you know I mean, he really really pushed himself to incredible heights in this game although he eventually ran out of gas early in the overtime and i think it's time to switch to Jamal Murray here. After the backcourt violation, he personally outscored Utah 18 to 16. (laughs) And so he did that in about six minutes, 18 points in about six minutes. And then in the first half, he had a personal 12-0 run to take it from tied at 43 to 55-43 in like three minutes. So he basically scored 30 points in like less than 10 minutes. It was insane. The shooting exhibition that that he put on, particularly from three and that Jokic-Murray pick and roll End of regulation beginning of overtime that is what ended up winning the game for the Nuggets even though I thought the Jazz were defending it about as well as you can two on two they probably should have started bringing some help a little earlier than they did finally at the very end Clarkson decided to come off one of the other guys and help and then Murray just hit it over him anyway
1: yeah <laughs> so- yeah I mean Murray Murray was and the degree of difficulty on some of those was totally crazy and and one of the differences between Mitchell and Murray's nights was that Donovan got a portion of his points, you know, at the free throw line and getting to the basket. And Mitchell did that a little bit, but mostly it was just mid-range and three-point dominance. Overall, he was 9 of 14 on jump shots in the game. And those were not all just like clean catch and shoot you know those types of situations these were some of them were tough on a good contest just shot making
0: yeah I don't recall him actually hitting a single catch and shoot because they don't have anyone else on this team in their starting lineup who can dribble by the way it's a little bit of a problem uh, other than Nikola Jokic frankly and so uh, Murray really I I want to say that if not all of his threes that he made six of them were off the dribble a ton of them were in a little bit might have been like kind of two-man action on the move with Jokic, but it wasn't like anyone was just setting him up for these spot ups like he was creating a lot he also had nine assists to go with his 36 points and game best oh well, no not game best actually jawan morgan was a game best plus 17 uh but second best in the game plus
1: 16 well let's let's get to Juwan morgan briefly because you briefly because you talked about the idea of you know like that that there aren't that many dribblers in the starting lineup for the or for the nuggets and that's absolutely right and i thought one of the stranger dynamics in the early portion of this game was the way that juan morgan and paul milsap being in the game screwed up both teams offenses because in juan morgan's case it was him being on the floor and not really wanting to shoot let milsap they they the nuggets did what teams have Done a lot more frequently. I think of the Warriors Grizzlies series as, as being, the but it existed before that of putting your smartest help defender on the other team's weakest offensive player because they're more capable of doing that instead of putting your worst defender on that player. Put somebody smart because then they can mess up everything else. But then on the other end, Millsap, I thought he was a little bit too thirsty and that was helping short circuit some of Denver's offense early.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I thought he was too thirsty, uh, more just that they weren't really guarding him and.
1: Well, but when they weren't guarding him and the ball went to Bill he's like, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to, like, drive into a post-up or I'm going to do something else. And it's just like, he's not that Yeah,
0: mid- I mean, in the playoffs last year, he had some pretty good moments. He hasn't posted up at all this year as they've had some more threats and moved into a, a different strategy offensively. But, yeah, I mean, he is still a good help defender. Like, nobody could get anything going. They just weren't guarding Morgan. Morgan did hit a three late. But I just – the and, yeah, you could say he was plus 17 i'm sorry he wasn't actually doing anything out there like if you're watching the game in the third quarter he had they at one point went with i guess niang at the three and him at the four to match up with some of the super big yeah. ball from the nuggets i think that's one of those like just because you can you, you do it i guess and he hit one corner three and he had like a couple of nice offensive rebounds in the third quarter but other than that he didn't do anything to deserve this spot and i just don't understand the theory behind it like what does he bring with the game that we saw a lot of him actually was that spurs game and you know i mean he could maybe hit a corner three okay but he obviously isn't getting guarded out there on all the other possessions you don't want him hanging out around the basket where you know maybe he's got like a little bit of post scoring ability he missed a couple of layups and defensively i mean is he like how is he any better than Niang? at least Niang you know has been has some experience why not just start niang at that point and get more shooting on the floor because i don't understand what other things morgan brings i guess it's like oh we want to keep niang in his role on the second unit but uh, you know niang played 20 minutes in this game like you played some game. more minutes yeah if, i don't, don't need to he had one foul
1: yeah i don't um, think that i don't think that he has any sort of like stamina issues or anything like that yeah I, I agree and also you know like gerald brantley looked better than morgan in the games that we did and like if the idea was yeah. oh he's physically strong and all that's like you can go go in other directions and and anyway like paul Millsap isn't going to wield that against you that much and i think Niang would have done totally fine i, I mean maybe role.
0: the thought was like milsap was gonna post up and morgan could be stronger and i, I was it, but like
1: I, if that happens good good totally fine with it um compared to jamal murray and nicole Jokic doing shit like or or i mean yeah. in that first quarter michael porter went crazy he didn't distinctly did not after that but um yeah it's well so well,
0: well yeah yeah so what were you gonna say next sir?
1: well so i was gonna get into a kind of a big picture a big picture thing yeah that that you that i like to do for game ones
0: Well, well here let's uh let, let's do a quick read here and then we'll get sure to absolutely okay so before the break you're going to talk about uh, something you like to do after game one
1: yes so you and i did our prediction podcast a little bit over 24 hours ago for actually that one i think was 48 because we did that no it was 24 because we didn't know about the availabilities oh yeah um and So we made our predictions and formed based on, you know, everything that we do. And so I think it's really useful for a game one to think about how do you feel about your prediction? And what I think is very interesting from my perspective, so I picked the Nuggets in six. Yes, Denver won this game. I feel worse about that prediction than I did when I made it, even though they won the game. Because... I thought Utah significantly outplayed them, and some of the ways that Utah did that can be corrected, but definitely not all of them. And also, it reminded me of kind of some of the coaching matchup stuff, and that even like that, the, that Malone did make some adjustments, and I think some of those adjustments helped. And having like we also don't know when he's going to get when each of these teams is going to get their other guys back. But just kind of some of the process stuff, like generally when a team is outplayed on a neutral site, you think that's going to. It's kind of like when a team is making. Bad shots early, and you're just like, Oh, that's going to even out and that's going to go the other way. And part of that is also Denver found money from Tory Craig 11 points and 22 of 41 overall from three. Like, even though a lot of their shots were by good shooters, that's not going to continue.
0: Yeah, and I don't know how many. I mean, like, Tory Craig was awesome. Jokic was four of seven. We talked about how, like, his three point shooting could be such a bellwether for them, and he's not going to shoot over 50%, probably. They made eight threes in the first 11 minutes of the game, particularly mm-hmm. when you hit those shots early in the game it just has an anchoring effect for them guarding you outside afterwards and so yeah they're not going to shoot it that well these guys aren't that great of shooters it's not like their best shooters were going crazy in in a lot of circumstances Murray was hitting ridiculous shots sure Mitchell is not going to play as well again but I thought what Mitchell was doing was more sustainable than what Murray was doing and really though It was mental mistakes to me for the Jazz that killed them. Yeah, there was the eight-second violation. That was a a huge one. They probably win it if that doesn't happen. But the other thing was their transition defense was so awful. And Zach Lowe talked about that on his pod. And watching it in person, I was a little bit more attuned to it because he had mentioned it. But the amount of complaining to the referees every time not getting back. Like Joe Ingles is a terrible example of that. They don't have anyone with any kind of athleticism if Gobert is not back. And there are just so many plays where they're just jogging back. And the statistics really reflect that.
1: Yeah. So overall, in the game, it wasn't necessarily about transition frequency. Neither of these teams that I mean, they're both playing in the half court a lot—but Denver had a 182 offensive rating in transition in this game.
0: Yeah, and there are so like they some of the ones that they gave up like fourth quarter. Jokic comes in, just like throws it over everyone's head to for a touchdown. I just a normal defensive rebound where Jeremy granted contested an Ingles shot and then leaked out, and no one got back. Ingalls just kind of jogged back a little bit. Um, you know, there, were just a bunch of turnovers where they were just complaining to the referees and didn't get back monte morris was awesome in transition he really pushed the ball i thought he had an excellent game he earned that closing spot in this one and there were just a lot of mental mistakes from utah those was was a shame too because i thought rudy gobert was unbelievable in this game
1: yeah, I, I I agree, especially in in half court defense. Yeah, I thought he, I thought he did a great job affecting things on the floor. That's a, bi- a big part of the reason why the the Nuggets only took twenty shots in the restricted area in the whole game. And it wouldn't surprise me if those were shifted towards the minutes that Gobert wasn't on the floor. You know, like I, I, and remember, yeah. not it's not only the twenty there; it's 20, 20 restricted well, well, area. So and I, I got
0: here's the stat for you, Danny. Sure, uh, Quinn Snyder, as we thought he would, matched up Gobert's minutes exclusively with Yo Do I know how many shots Nikola Jokic took in the restricted area in this game? Like three? One. Wow. One shot in the restricted area, seven in the paint overall, th- three out of six from floater range, but all those were very well contested, including the shot at the end of regulation that could have tied it a an incredibly difficult hook shot. Kevin Love tweeted this, and he was correct, that against anyone else, that's a bucket, but Gobert forced Jokic to go over him. I thought the only thing that Gobert could have done a little bit better was maybe contest Jokic more on some of like, his face-up drives but uh, and force him to put it on the floor, uh, but Jokic really was not able to get very cleanly Looks at when he's actually been killing everybody else in the post, and you know, it was really only the four or seven from three. And even in on those plays, Gobert was like there's nobody else anywhere close to Gobert's side who in that Jokic Murray pick and roll, the way that Murray was going, could actually like stay in front of Murray and then get back to Jokic to even get some contests. Jokic hit some really difficult shots out of that. It was those four out of seven from three was all above the break. Gobert also made an incredible play that doesn't show up at all, but Jokic gets an offensive rebound in the last minute of the game Gobert had actually contested the jump shot that missed so that's how Jokic gets the rebound he's about to go up for a three-point play and Gobert sprints back into the play. He was remember, he's guarding the guy who missed a jump shot. It was like a 20-footer, and he gets back in and actually like blocks Jokic's shot. I'm not sure whether he got the foul or someone down low did, but that was going to be a three-point play if Gobert doesn't get there and ends up Jokic hitting a couple of free throws to give him a two-point lead. And then Mitchell comes down and gets fouled immediately. Um but yeah, I thought Gobert was absolutely wonderful. The center matchup. I think, you know, I know Jokic had 29 points and, but he only had three assists and I thought Gobert, it was a definitely a really hard 29 points yeah. for Jokic, particularly given how much they'd like to run stuff through him because there wasn't, there don't really have many other weapons and,
1: out and, there right now. And offensively, I thought he did well too, it was, it was super important in the pick and roll game with his screening. Now I think Denver can adjust that by just Jamal Murray dies so aggressively on screens that maybe you just run them around it or do something else basically just try to avoid that and there are a couple yeah. different ways that you can I, handle that i
0: mean denver tried everything they could right like yeah they were well they uh, did
1: they did accept the big thing that i would consider if they're running a drop coverage just don't put Jokic on gobert they don't have anybody else who's a good screener in those in those primary lineups just have whatever whatever the hell else you're gonna do like sacrifice sacrifice that and at least force Utah to run some different stuff now the other problem is if you also have Michael Porter Jr. in the game then it's like okay we're gonna do something with Angles. like there are other there are other ways to do it but I like this is this over like bigger theory that I've had with Nikola Jokic which is defensively he's not a center just don't play him as a center and try to make up make up for it other places yeah that will
0: mean well well anybody who can do anything off the dribble is gonna cook him too though
1: sure like, I mean we like, saw Joe, Joe we saw Joe Ingles blow a I am.
0: Yeah. But I, but I I respectfully disagree with you. I don't think that's going to work uh, that well. What I'm saying is if you're, gonna a, if you're going to run
1: if you're going to run a drop coverage, like and my answer yeah. there is don't run well, a drop. Yeah, coverage. Yeah,
0: so that's what I'm saying though. If you're going to run a drop coverage, then anybody can set the screen, and then Mitchell is going downhill at Jokic, and and you're burned either way. So I I yeah I don't know if that would work. For
1: I me I, I think if you, you challenge you challenge Utah's other players to set a competent screen, I think they would also probably set a bunch of illegal screens, and you could get you could get offensive fouls on that. Like you're going to it's going to hurt no matter what but I mean and Jokic has to be on the floor because of how amazing he is offensively
0: one other thing on the pick and roll defense I thought Utah had some pretty good plans one of them was using Millsap's man at the screener and at first I was like why are they used why are they doing this like but the answer was that if you could get that guy rolling to the rim Jokic just wasn't going to be able to have any kind of an effect as a help defender whatsoever the other thing they did that I thought was awesome was they ran a lot of small small pick and rolls with the other guys setting the screens and I thought they did a good job by the way Danny I, I again I respectfully just dis- disagree with you there because they did have those guys setting a lot of screens um but what Mitchell did this is something we talk about right when on switches just treat the guy switching on to you even if he's just small like he's a big and just get downhill at him anyway like Mitchell yeah. by the time the screen gets set he's going a million miles an hour and so whoever is switching onto him just wasn't able to stay in front of him particularly if it was Porter or Morris and then you know he's able to get by that guy and again Jokic has no effect at the room so they just had no answers at all for Mitchell in pick and roll defense
1: something else that's going to be a challenge for Quinn Snyder to reconcile especially in these Games without Mike Connolly, and we don't know yet how many that's going to be. My instinct is he's going to miss games one, two, and three. Um, is Jordan Clarkson very valuable to have? I mean, for the for the non-Mitchell minutes, I think that he is he is absolutely essential because you need somebody who uh, who could do things with the ball in their hands. And even if a Jordan Clarkson-led offense is not going to be particularly efficient, it's still more efficient than a lot of their other options. But partially because there just aren't enough guys on the Jazz bench that Quinn Snyder trusts, and you kind of know what Jordan Clarkson is for better or for worse. I think that because he's such an easy point to attack, having him out there, especially when Mitchell is rolling so well as the as the initiator, I think that those minutes need to be tamped down, even if it comes at the expense of more limited players. I'm not saying give those to Emmanuel Moutier, because hell no. But even if it's Niang or maybe throwing some to Oni or something like that, Clarkson in though once you take the ball out of his hands even though he can be a capable catch and shoot guy i just th- it just makes it too easy for the Nuggets strategically i think that's part of the challenge
0: i mean i might try and give niang a little bit more minutes i thought he played well though the, the one possession where he missed three three-pointers Oof. on the same possession it definitely hurt the
1: only three three-pointers he missed in the game but he only took four
0: yeah but i thought he had did his like slow-mo pump and drive game look pretty good denver doesn't really have like the athletic offensive players that are going to put him into difficulties a capable help guy but you know i think clarkson is just they need some bodies out there um and i thought clarkson actually did a pretty good job as a screener sure. for mitchell so so that that looked pretty decent um i think the other thing too is just that denver has so few guards who can do anything why not just like put guards out there and hope they can match try to match you because those guys just aren't as good of players in the end this Time with Morris and Dozier, those guys came in. I don't, they didn't really do that much other than just maybe hold their defenders a little bit more. But you know, I think I'd rather have them out there than some of the other guys that Denver has. Um, Denver's bench pretty unimpressive. Plumley had three fouls in the first like 4 minutes that he played. He picked up two of them on Joe Ingles. He tried to draw a charge on Ingles that he had no chance at. So, uh he really struggled. Their 13 million dollar backup center uh, played a, a grand total of 11 minutes. He was actually plus 3, but he it did little in the game. Uh the two technicals by Utah Oh yeah. were killers. I mean, that's just completely unnecessary. I think it was Joe Ingles and then Snyder trying to defend Ingalls and just i mean th- another mental mistake by the jazz right and particularly loathsome because first it was joe Ingalls not getting back on defense and then i think he someone picked up the technical after that and then quinn snyder compounds that by also picking up the technical and so when you throw it just the jazz relationship with the referees on this one in a game in which both teams got called for the exact same number of fouls and the jazz shot more free throws than the nuggets did Uh, was just it was bad and it just compounded all all of their issues and you know so you just they just gave stuff away here in this game that they're gonna look back on
1: so I, i and a bit ago i said that i felt worse about my pick of of nuggets in six how do you feel about jazz and seven
0: well i feel like the process behind picking that was right because utah is way better than them even without mike conley and though i will say much- like
1: if they can get if they can get will barton and right. gary harris back that will make a, it'll make a significant difference i don't think it'll solve everything it won't even come close but some of the well, depth I issues mean, having about, gary
0: harris to guard donovan mitchell i think will be very useful
1: well and it'll give them more options in case like michael porter jr is just too bad defensively like he was when in was getting into stuff and you just can't play him then you have an option who's a capable you have options who are capable players if you want to go smaller if you want to do a couple other things they wouldn't have to go tall ball as much as they did
0: yeah porter jr had eight points in the first like five minutes or so he walked into a couple of threes at the top of the key in transmission but he finished with 13 points five of 13 and uh was really struggling there down the end defensively as we talked to also him trying to get through a screen on joe angles i mean the porter jokic defensive combination and pick and roll was just had no chance whatsoever in this one uh but yeah i think yeah, those guys coming back help. but to answer your original question i feel good about the process i mean one of the things that i thought was yeah jazz are missing bogdanovich and conley but hey the nuggets are also missing two starters and they're at a position where they have very little depth so yeah i would say bogdanovich and conley are more important than jazz than harrison barton but not that much and harrison barton not being able to play being ruled out uh pretty early on here i don't know what their status is going to be going forward but it seems like they could be limited throughout the series i don't know how many minutes they're going to be able to play either so i if, if they're going to be out for a long time i think that makes me feel better about utah particularly because i just don't barton's a good defender too danny so oh absolutely that's thing to remember uh, he's been a, a solid guy this year also it allows them to match up with utah's small lineups much more easily and do more of that handoff game as well i'm but I kind of feel worse about the pick just because Denver's up 1-0 yeah. but in terms of the process of it like Utah should have won this game they were the better team in this game so I think I uh, my process was right but uh yeah and in fact someone texted me it must have been at the very moment that Mitchell was committing the 8 second violation like, ooh that jazz picks looking pretty good there and uh you know then it all went awry so i'm not saying utah can't win this series by any means particularly when they get conley back but uh, i do think that they're gonna rue this blown opportunity uh, also i would feel better if we had the usual home court format because losing the opportunity to win a road game kind of isn't as big right like denver is kind of just holding serve you still can get back into it in, in later games you still have three home games left in the series compared to three for them but now you know if denver do wins this next game it, they're in great difficulty so i still think utah can win the series uh, i think the process behind my pick was right uh, and I, I think that denver is really going to struggle to stop them uh, mike malone tried literally everything and nothing worked even the slightest defensively um the juan morgan thing hopefully that will end it's probably not going to because he was plus 17 even though he didn't do anything to make that happen i think that's all, all i gotta say any adjustments that we haven't talked about yet for game two
1: I think we've already hit on just about everything.
0: Let me see if I have any. I mean, while taking Morgan out, obviously, it'd be one. I still think they should try to give Jarrell Brantley a try. I think he could defend Paul Millsap, and he's just a better shooter than Morgan. I maybe mean, There's just some reason that Quinn Snyder doesn't trust him and trust Morgan instead.
1: Well, and and I, I nearly tweeted this during when they announced the starting lineups. It's, it's also a reminder that they have a lot more information than we do. That doesn't mean that Quinn Snyder's coaching staff is making the correct decision. It, it, it is just a reminder that like we, we only got to really see those guys play kind of one and a half times and they've had other stuff
0: yeah I think for Denver I'd like to see more of the smalls screening for Nikola Jokic make Gobert get through a screen actually Jokic hit one three as the ball handler and pick and roll in transition where I think it was Murray screen for him and Jokic just pulled up for a three but more of the plays that they run where a small sets a screen for Jokic usually it's Murray to kind of roll into the lane or have Jokic handle the ball let Murray set the screen because I I think Gobert can guard Jokic pretty well one-on-one. Jokic will have better games. And, you know, if you look at his line, he's 11-21 and did have four turnovers, only three assists. But I I like the Jazz strategy of just let's make him exclusively a scorer because if he's putting up 13 assists or something like that, that's when Denver's offense is really humming. Um, Another thing, too, is... I'm interested to see where the minute totals go. In this series, Murray only played 40 minutes, including overtime. So he was on 35 in uh, normal time. Gobert, 37 minutes. He matched up exclusively with Jokic, as we mentioned. Ingles and Mitchell, 38 minutes. Maybe Mitchell could go a little more, but he has to do so much offensively, I'm not sure that he can. And what would be your closing group here for Denver? Ugh.
1: um, Murray... I, I think the Morris thing the Murray Morris thing won't work as often though Utah doesn't really have as many guys to punish that um yeah. Craig if he's available I think that he's fine and then Grant millsap I'd, I think I'd probably more often play one of them rather than two just because you need to keep enough offense on the floor but at the same point if what you're doing is if what you're doing in crunch time is basically just running Murray and Murray and Jokic pick and rolls especially because those guys aren't attacking the room as aggressively I think that having floor spacing in some weird ways matters matters. matters a little bit less and you can go more defense. Like it's sort of it's sort of a bizarro
0: version of the Russell. Yeah, if Murray's just trying to get a mid range. Yeah, anyway, it's
1: it's like a bizarro. I might still
0: it, consider, might still consider bringing some more help over. I think they just part of the reason they didn't do that is because the Nuggets shot 54 from three in this
1: game. Right, um, but I mean, like the, those guys, I think they could, they could I, I, I guess I'd consider it, especially without Harrison, Harrison Barton available. Like that, that's part of what makes this a real challenge.
0: Dude, we love to talk about this series. This is like <laughs> we're like over 30 minutes here on this yeah. series. We did over 30 minutes. The pre- it's part of it's just because it's also. Weird with all these absences in the series, but incredible and incredibly enjoyable. Let's get to uh Dallas and the Clippers in just a moment here. I think we have to start in this game with the controversial ejection of Kristaps Porzingis and both of those technicals one was the air punch as he screamed after he got what he thought was a clean block and maybe was, maybe wasn't, he kind of got him on the arm but in the heat of battle that probably feels pretty clean Uh, and then he does the air punch and then he jumps in on Doncic when he got into like just a little bit of an altercation with Marcus Morris after Morris wrapped him up after a whistle to prevent him from getting a three point play and more so Just to kind of be an asshole, which succeeded, and so Porzingis gets like a little bit of a running start. There's like a slight disagreement between Luca and Morris, and Kristaps Porzingis jumps in, gives a little shove to Morris. Morris shoves him back, which is a smart move because you draw more attention to it. There, Marcus Morris is always going to shove you back. He is not backing down from anyone. And I mean, as soon as we saw that, we're like, oh, he's gone. Like he's already got a technical. Like this is when you jump into an altercation like that, that you're probably going to get a technical again. And a lot of people were complaining that it was soft but I would if you want to blame anyone blame the league office don't blame the officials because they are doing what they are told to enforce and yeah it'd be nice if they would have just swallowed their whistles on that one but you've got reviews here they have things that they're trying to do they are being graded on how they are enforcing this stuff and so Christoph Porzingis was gone and both of them yes it's kind of annoying yes it's sticky tack but Christoph Persingus should know better and he didn't
1: it it's a weird it's a weird thing because there's this it is kind of like the softest combination of correctly called technicals to get somebody ejected, yeah. but they're both correctly called. And the air punch thing is something that everybody in the league should be very attuned yeah.
0: to. I, I've you, It was on the video. It's on the video every year.
1: And not only that, it has been prominent recently because Grace and Ellen got a technical for an air punch that ended up be, being an important part of the resolution of the playing game. Like this was extremely recent. There were three of them called in the last three days is. And all, all of which mattered. And so you it, it can't be a surprise. And yeah, you, you can get there. There is a very good argument about you need to let players emote and you need to get all this stuff. But, and, and I think there's a larger meta conversation that needs to happen, probably Monty McCutcheon and everything else, of like that it does seem like the refs are more, they're, that they're, the refs right now are a little bit too afraid of like going away from the specific guidelines. But if that's the way the league wants to manage it, then that's the way the league wants to manage it. Like, I, and I think, I wouldn't I would prefer a different a more a more lenient kind of system, especially in the playoffs because it genuinely sucks to have a game affected as dramatically as this one was by a pretty weak ejection but they were both correctly called and I, I think the place to go from there is, we did this game live for the NBA cast and the early part, the very beginning, the first three and a half minutes, you just go, Oh, here it goes again. The, you know, the Clippers really engaged defensively. I thought they did a fantastic job and it was feedback loops. They were getting these stops and getting wide open looks because Dallas wasn't getting back in transition. And at the eight 30 mark of the first quarter, they're up 18 to two. Luka Doncic has turned the ball over four times. You just go, well, it's, you know, they got hit in the mouth. It's, dallas's first playoff game for basically all of their players of importance and they fought back i mean and they made it made this a game many times they actually went up to a 14 point lead in the same quarter where they trailed by 16 and i thought luca rebounded with a very good rest of his game when he had also tweaked his ankle it seemed like earlier on
0: yeah he'll go through a lot of stretches like that where he seems like he's limping around but it plays pretty well and i think luca played about as well as you can expect once he calmed down in the beginning and yeah I mean, that pressure was insane. Patrick Beverly knocked away, got a steal on literally the first pass of the game as they tried to just like hand it back. After winning the tip, he gets a steal, and Kawhi was all over the place. Marcus Morris had four steals, and they really were just killing him early. But then the tenor changed a little bit. Beverly went out. Lou Williams came in. They're not going to bring the same level of defensive pressure at that point in time. They went to Reggie Jackson, who uh, that's probably not a card that Doc Rivers should be playing much more in this series. And the Mavs started hitting some shots as well. Hardaway, Seth Curry, I think things kind of changed a little bit when he came in. And Trey Burke, I also thought that Carlisle did well to just take Luca out of the game for three, four minutes there after his terrible start. He you know, you normally would take him out much later, but just to settle him down. We've seen Steve Kerr do that sometimes with Steph Curry, and uh, Luca was able to come back in. Well, that
1: that also set the t- set the tone for something else, which is that Doc Rivers didn't change his rotation when Rick Carlisle did that, and so that also put Luca on the floor with the combination of Reggie Jackson and Lou Williams. And so Luca, al- not only did he you know get the chance to collect himself, he also got to cook against a way worse. Clippers roster and so it was this weird situation where the Clippers had their two best players off the floor Kawhi and Paul George and just so they didn't have their offense wasn't good enough to like sustain all the way and their defense was was atrocious and so it it gave Luka a chance to kind of get right with that and you get that whole the short memory benefits and also like I thought that one of the other really interesting dynamics in this game that the Porzingis ejection fundamentally changed, which now becomes a big story for game two, was that I thought Dallas was getting to something when they were playing Porzingis without Kleba, because when Maxi Kleba was on the floor, he was a little bit reluctant. He took five threes, only made one of them. And so Doc was okay playing Zubots when Klebo was on the floor, and he was really making life hard for Doncic as a finisher around the rim. But whenever they went to anybody else, whether that was Montrezl Harrell or going even smaller, Luka felt a lot more comfortable attacking the basket for his own scoring and for like interior passes as opposed to driving and kicking out to somebody like Seth Curry.
0: Yeah, definitely. Particularly in the third, uh, Zubac had three nice contests on Doncic. One of them was like an impossible hook shock that Doncic actually made on the baseline. But overall, it it looked pretty decent uh, for Zubac. And they were okay with him guarding Kleba, as you mentioned. Kleba had two bad misses right at the start and seemed a little bit gun-shy. I did think that Kleba was as good as you can be in an isolation against Kawhi Leonard, even though Kawhi did hit some impossible shots at him. But the problem with Kleba is he just can't get through a screen at all. It seemed like every time he got screened on the ball, and this is something that we talked about before the series, he, he instead of trying to get over it, he would just, like, grab the guy who just screened him for some reason, but they weren't switching so it, it was very odd. He couldn't get through that. And that's why Kawhi Leonard is so hard to deal with, right? Yeah, Cleveland is a, a pretty unique player in his ability to have his size and still move his field. I mean, the some of the plays that he made cutting guys off in this game were just incredible. Like, his, his I, we talk about guys' first step, like, his last step to, like, get in front of guys and cut them off it was really incredibly quick. But that Kawhi Leonard has really worked hard on his pick and roll game he's improved as a distributor this year he had six assists in this one and remember going back to last year where I think his career high in assists was nine and he got that in that game five I think against the box and now he's distributed the ball a lot more this year and but now he has that in his game and so yeah you could put Kleba on him to try to make the ice more difficult well okay he's just going go to go to pick and roll then instead and cause problems and that's also a, what Paul George did on Kleba um, but nonetheless I, I understand the idea from Carlisle of going bigger, trying to get more defense on the floor. I thought the Mavericks defended about as well as you could hope in this game, particularly since they had to go to more Boban they would have liked with Porzingis gone and and Boban was uh, really struggled to protect the rim. He's just too immobile to like get into position to uh, make any blocks. Yeah,
1: it's like he has long arms, but he has slow reactions and has slow feet. So that combination actually is is tougher. And it makes you also like, it makes you appreciate how amazing like to watch the bookends of Gobert and Boban. who like they're both like insane physical specimens but Rudy Gobert just moves so much faster and also his his like kind of his his basketball brain works so much faster so that he can get places that Boban just can't
0: another thing that stuck out to me is just with Kleba on the floor the Mavs just didn't have enough supplemental playmaking and the only other guy out there who really is going to dribble much is Tim Hardaway Jr. and and he's not going to make plays for others really and so you saw some instances where Doncic would get the initial opening swing the the ball to the weak side as he loves to do and you know maybe there'd be an uncontrolled closeout where someone else could have driven or you know and then drove and kicked himself and set up a three but it would go to someone like Kleba who's not really that capable in those spots if the initial three is taken away and so you would see Doncic would make the pass there might have been a little opening that a competent ball handler could have widened but instead you're just kind of waiting for Doncic to go get the ball back and you've wasted a bunch of time
1: well yeah like there was that there was that one that stuck out to me where Maxi Kalupa had an open corner three and Paul George was closing hard. And instead of either taking the shot or pump faking and getting something else, Kleba rushes the pass. And basically, by that point, by the time it got settled, the the Clippers were already were already back to their stuff, and Dallas had the advantage was completely gone. So it wasn't a record scratch. It was it was just it just nullified the advantage. And Hardaway Jr. I thought he had a little bit of an inconsistent night. There were times that his that his shot looked good. He looked had a little had a couple of finishes, but then other points where I think he was a little bit too aggressive. And the it it was all. Also intriguing from some of the support player perspective. I mean MKG hitting two of three threes in that sequence, and I believe that uh, was yeah. like that was the the ultimate and found money though. His shot to me looks better, not fixed, but better. And and also like I, I brought this up during the broadcast, but I as you said, I agree with the uh, the thought process behind playing Maxi Kluba I think that makes sense. I thought he did a, a pretty good job defensively on Kawhi in particular. But you get into this point where it's probably better to the, basically the way you're going to win games in the series more regularly, even though Dallas defended better than anticipated, is just by throwing as many weapons as you can and trying to outscore them. And I thought that Seth Curry. Curry, he fits so well with Luka because Curry knows how to find his spots, and he's such a great uncontested catch-and-shoot guy. In particular, his contested stuff's okay. And so, like, he's just, in those minutes, he was just getting into a total rhythm, and the Clippers aren't always the most attentive off-ball, especially if it's some of their weaker defenders, and so I thought that Curry was able to find spots that Maxi but just doesn't.
0: Yeah, definitely. And Curry played well. He's... He- I think the problem that Carlisle is really concerned with is that Clippers size on the wing and he just doesn't want to get caught in that matchup with Curry having a guard George or Leonard and when you've got him out there that's a possibility I mean they've already got Hardaway who particularly on Kawhi is really going to be overwhelmed most of the time just with Kawhi's size and strength but I do think that Carlisle might eventually decide no we got to just beat these guys with offense we have the greatest offense in NBA history like let's let's do it our way and not worry as much about the defense so that particularly as you mentioned moving Kleba to the second unit that will enable you to match up Porzingis with Zubots and make Zubac guard like a real three-point shooter and take him away from the basket where he's not going to cause many problems for Luka and then as you mentioned I think Luka you know just his isolation game getting into the lane his patience if he can get past the initial defender when the clippers are playing smaller he's gonna be able to score around harrell or or jermichael green or whoever the center ends up being uh speaking of which about six minutes left clippers take out harrell uh, who is definitely shall we say working his way back into shape after missing a bunch of time like he he looks like he's uh i've never seen him looking this heavy so he's definitely got a, and you know understandably so given like the personal tragedy but if just from a basketball perspective he didn't look explosive he's very reliant on energy you know he, he's not the type of guy who can be carrying a few extra pounds and be effective um so they take him out they don't go back to zubats even though he was good in and, and they could have gone to him because klebo was the center they I think they would have been fine with that. And instead, they went to their small group, and it was Jamichael Green at center for, I think, that entire time. Am Am I right about that? Or did they even go with like Morris at center?
1: I think it was Jermichael Green, but I'm not
0: 100% sure. Here, I'll, I'll, let me confirm that. Yeah, so it was Jermichael Green for about a minute and a half, and then they actually brought Lou Williams That's in. That's right. For, for, it was for Jermichael Green, which we thought was definitely interesting. So it was Lou, Patrick Beverly, Kawhi, Marcus Morris, Paul George. So a lot of spacing and a lot of offense out there. And uh, so, I, you know, I, we had carved some about Lou Williams being in this group the thinking being that hey you're not necessarily going to give him the ball so what you've got Kawhi and Paul George already and so why are you going to put him out there when he's a defensive liability and both those things turned out to not really be true in this iteration of that lineup down the end and it was t- it was a one-point game when when Lou came back in.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Um, And to elaborate on that a little bit, I mean, now Lou did miss a couple of layups, but he got a couple of wide open looks, just blew blew by guys. There was wasn't enough help at the rim because part of your problem there is without Porzingis and I think if Porzingis is around much of this may change in the next game if it's close but you've got Kleba guarding Kawhi so he can't really help at all and so all these drives there's nobody else I mean Doncic was almost like the primary help defender and and I thought he actually played pretty decently defensively in this game but you know you're asking way too much of him and then the bigger problem for Dallas was on the other and they couldn't really take advantage of Lou they were not getting great shots down the end and Lou Williams what he was doing was he basically wasn't really helping on the screen it seemed like he was just sticking with whoever was setting the screen who was kind of slipping through and so dallas just didn't do a good enough job continuing to hunt him part of that was because they were doing some pre-switching hiding him a little bit they did manage to have one play where they hit him and Doncic threw it to trey burkey drove on the baseline but he just missed the layup but the other thing is just whoever's setting that screen is being guarded by lou williams he's just got to set a better screen yeah like force and at that point luke just let luke get downhill you've done your job at that point that guy was like trying to slip it thinking that Lou was going to hedge out and uh, just set the screen and make make Lou Williams switch on to Luka Doncic and then Luka James Harden does this too Luka could watch a little film of James Harden what James Harden will do in those situations is when the small guy steps out he'll just dribble right into the body of that guy and so that guy basically has to stay on him or if he leaves him then they then it's He'll a layup. Just be able to go right to the basket, yeah. And so that guy will, you know, he wants to get back to his man, but Harden is almost just like forcing him to stay with him by dribbling into his body, and then you end up being able to throw it to the roll man for a three, or he just gets out of the way. But it's uh, so they got to do a better job there, certainly, of taking advantage of Lou Williams. But and I'm just very interested to see how the defense is going to change if Porzingis is out there and if they stick with that group or not. I mean, I guess they would put Marcus Morris on probably in there are just gonna switch everything um anything else on this one i got a couple other notes I,
1: I think that's all i have
0: um trey burke had to leave the game he stepped on moxie kleba's foot and basically was taken out so uh he was actually an important player for them i know he didn't score that much but he really settled things down and Riccardo loves playing with his two guards particularly with Doncic, out of the game uh how about adjustments
1: I think playing playing Curry more more with starters maybe he doesn't start but just give getting him there forcing a little bit of the Clippers hand with Zubats I think would make a big difference. Well, I mean, I, I think a lot of what Dallas did actually actually looked pretty good. I think that's really from their perspective the only thing. And then for the Clippers, Reggie Jackson was terrible. He also doesn't really have much of a point on this team. I think that the, there's a complication probably emotionally. Just you know player who has been a starter in the league for a long time who made his way out of a bad out out of a like a non-contending situation goes to the clippers who looks like they have something to offer but then they just they just don't like there is nothing that reggie will that reggie jackson brings to this team that they need in important minutes they haven't they have too many good players in some ways and so and especially if lou williams can stay on the floor which he won't against everybody but but reggie like his defense was bad in this one his offense was in some ways worse and I think I think that'll be a big problem. And then with Montres Harrell and some of the other guys, it's just getting getting all the way back. I mean, Patrick Beverly Oh, that's something else is like Patrick Beverly played very good defense and was super aggressive, but he commits such an incredible amount of fouls. Like he, he committed five in the twenty minutes he played, but they also could have called a few things which they didn't.
0: Yeah, I mean he had five fouls in like eleven minutes. Yeah. by the third quarter. And then when he came back, in, he managed to to stay out of it, although he had, did have to give up one layup uh, because he was yeah. too worried. But about he
1: did falling. have some. But Beverly did have some big offensive rebounds and other stuff. So I, and I thought physically he looked a little bit better than I anticipated. When calf issues, they're they're notoriously tricky. Uh, so I think that the Clippers getting healthier will end up will end up making a pretty big difference. And so yeah, I am very I'm very interested in game two of this series. It could end up being a kind of a longer one than I anticipated. I still think the Clippers are gonna win it. But again, going back to the framing I used for game for the first game, I feel I do feel a little bit queasier about Clippers in five, just because the Mavericks to me they defended better than I anticipated and at times they scored yeah. better because that first I think that first four minutes was a, a reflection of the Clippers defensive ceiling but also anomalous at the same point
0: yeah it, this is a weird game because the Mavs were over 50 percent from three in the first and then I think they only made three in the second half yeah I think there are 12 of 21 in the first and three of 22 in the second and Doncic who man he's got to do so much offensively and he played 38 minutes in this one he had the 11 turnovers four fouls even only playing 38 minutes can he really play at this kind of a pace with this kind of a workload yes he had the highest ever number of points for someone in their nba playoffs debut i think he might have beaten Derek rose's record for that i think rose had like 35 back in 2009 against the celtics so 42 points i mean and outside of the turnovers, he was unbelievable he, he did 42 points well, and he a- did it and he on... was
1: better defensively than we thought
0: yeah I agree I mean I thought his energy level uh, was pretty good but it'd be nice to be able to play more minutes I don't think Rick Carla thinks he can do that he's probably right and I just think you know Luca is in big time danger of wearing down here can they get more out of King Gilchrist I think if you're Dallas you gotta just I would just play King Gilchrist etc and get rid of Boban completely yeah I I mean he actually ended up as plus five but it wasn't really anything that he was doing he didn't do much other than get a few defensive rebounds um interesting that Trey Burke played 20 minutes Dalen Wright only played six minutes he got yanked after Uh, one turnover that was uh, basically his only box score contribution it'd be interesting to see if we go with him more but he's not a great shooter and i think that's he hasn't been a a great fit for what they're looking for with that uh yeah, I might try and give MKG some more time if he's gonna see see if this uh, this crazy shooting run continues for the Clippers. We saw eight minutes of Landry Shamet. He was 0 for one, negative nineteen. He he still does a decent job defensively well, on uh, tracking shooters. Part of the
1: reason he yeah. was negative nineteen is they were playing him at small forward.
0: Yeah, with Reggie Jackson and Lou Williams. Yeah, Doc's got to just like, I think he needs just needs to like plan out and think about his lives a little bit more. And we talked about that before the series of just how there's it, both for the reason of just continuity and experimentation, but also just because from an emotional standpoint, there's a lot of guys who expect to play. And you kind of got to play all of them and in some ways be like, hey, I tried to and it didn't work to have like a justification. And the Clippers are still continuing to ease into it. But the good news for them is that Kawhi looks awesome. Paul George looks awesome. Marcus Morris Sr. looked awesome as well with four steals. He got into the mid-range, hit three of six from downtown. As well. Kawhi was unstoppable. It was only one of seven from three that marred his night. So I think the clips could actually play better. They can get to the foul line more. I think they can play a little bit better offensively. So we'll see. This is uh the next game obviously will decide the series. give me that zone, Rick Carlisle. I want that zone.
1: (laughs) One other reason I think the Clippers end up kind of being a weird winner of the day is that it looks to me like the Utah Denver series is going to be long and challenging for both those teams, and neither one of them has played particularly good defense other than. Gobert. And so whoever wins that series and faces the Clippers is just going to get blindsided in game one, like, oh, crap, this is what actual defense looks like. And because both those teams, the, the de- defending the Clippers is so different than defending each other. And I think that will be so I, I think they're going to cut they'll be they'll have a, an advantage in the next round, too
0: let's get to the last game that we're going to talk about because you know our policy on the nets and the magic that we're not going to talk about those games afterwards uh, unless they're actually they're close if it's close i will go back and watch it for you and give you all the details but 134 110 yeah brooklyn got within nine at one point some of our colleagues actually got sucked into watching that game i fortunately uh, it's
1: it's an endurance game not. right now i mean four, ga- four games in a day bang 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 you kind of it's it's kind of
0: well, especially over a 2 week week period man like i'm i'm sorry i'm not going to waste my energy on this crap series that Brooklyn has no chance of um but yeah let's talk about a a more interesting series that's philly boston
1: can i can i start with a stat here i just found this i found this absolutely fascinating um in this game so this is one of the one of the hustle stats we we, all the tracking stuff isn't in yet for today's games which is a little bit sad for me because there, there was this stat i was actually looking for for this game but it's not in deflections is something that's tracked already the philadelphia 76ers in this entire game had four total deflections, three of which were Matisse-Thibel. Boston had 22, and use those 22, that was a part of their 18 forced turnovers compared to seven.
0: Yeah, you make a good point there. Like, I, I, I think this Boston team plays a lot harder than Philadelphia does.
1: And they also have more They have more sharks and more opportunistic players, too. Like, Mitzi Stiebel is that, and, and Josh Richardson can be at moments. But it, I, I think that Boston does more to make life uncomfortable than Philadelphia does. Philadelphia does have some—they they do have defensive players. There were times in this game, I think it was in the second quarter, Seth we tweeted this out about, like, you could see kind of the outlines of what we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season, even though the personnel is very different, like, of being a nasty defensive team and then having enough offense to make it work. But i i think that the overall arc of this was broadly what we anticipated even though some of the specifics are not and then but then the wrinkle that i think was thrown in unfortunately in this game is that we don't know where where the availability of gordon hayward is going to be moving forward
0: i i fear we do honestly yeah you might be right the fact that he left on crutches in a walking boot mri scheduled is not the leg that he suffered that horrific injury to thankfully Uh, but it was a very weird looking sprain looked like he almost it, it was uh an eversion rather than an inversion sprain i don't think we never got a great look at, at what happened to it but the reaction the fact that he was immediately ruled out i fear this could be and remember also that he's gonna need to leave the bubble likely during round two for the birth of a child similar to mike conley and you know can't blame him for that they tried they tried to schedule it for when we didn't think there was gonna be basketball so uh and i'm uh i just i have a feeling that he may be done for this series given what the reaction was to that um now is does that mean that boston can't win it we'll talk about that after we talk about th- this game that you know he played most of this game and he you know didn't really wasn't great but he, he gives them a, a another ball handler and he did have four steals um of the 12 that boston put up you mentioned the deflections though clearly the the possession game was the big issue here at one point Philadelphia in the second quarter 62% true shooting oh man that is awesome the 105 offensive ring what's why is it so low they're shooting sixty percent oh because they have 11 turnovers and the Celtics have one
1: yeah and in the game overall Boston takes 10 more shots from the field three more free throws and so even though Boston shot worse from two worse from three and but they also like they did a possession game and they were equal in offensive rebounds i mean i think that was a huge part of the story here
0: and this has been something that's been an issue for philly going back a couple of years here Now you thought with ben simmons with matisse Thibel, with josh Richardson, obviously simmons isn't playing now that this problem would be over and that's why we're talking about this as potentially one of the greatest defenses of all time before the season which has not materialized in fact i would posit that boston right now is the better defense despite the fact that you might say that philly has more talent and even without Simon. So with Joel Embiid and a drop coverage, they really just don't force many turnovers, and they're not putting much pressure on the ball. Joel Embiid is basically just standing in the lane against Daniel House, who, granted, couldn't make him pay from three this game, but he's basically standing back there. And Boston has these good ball handlers, and yeah, it's going to be a little tough for them to get stuff right at the basket, but they're able to. It, they didn't shoot it particularly well this game, but they had a good enough offensive performance, and the big part of that is because they only had seven turnovers. There just is no pressure particularly when thigh is out of the game and the horford and bead thing just just didn't work in this one i i would say
1: well well, the funniest thing about it is in some ways this sixers coverage turns other teams into last year's spurs but that kind of works for the celtics because they have Tatum and Kemba yeah. Walker
0: and they still got just as many shots at the rim as as Philly That's did true. in this as well yeah. yeah I mean they also
1: yeah so but I think that Horford most of the time I thought that it didn't work he had had some there was a, a point in I believe it was the third quarter where it totally worked it was only Horford on the floor but generally speaking yeah. he looked like he it looked like he was overmatched other than being what I think is like the other big storyline of this game that we haven't talked about the only player on the 76ers who can throw an entry pass and so but yeah. other than other than that. So
0: so can I give you a stat on that? Sure. Uh, Joel Embiid, per Synergy, had only six post-ups in the whole game that he finished with a shot, free throw, or turnover. And part of why they just... There's a lot of complaining down the end that they didn't get him the ball, and they just couldn't. And we talked about how Boston... You you mentioned the deflections. We mentioned in in the preview, getting a lot of pressure on the passer would be huge. And that's exactly what Boston did. And, I mean, there is one player... and this Philly team, who's any good at passing, and that's Al Horford.
1: Yeah, and they also don't have guys who can dribble. It's a, a really basic challenge, but I mean, and yeah. I think that's part of why Alec Burks actually might have a part, a larger part to play in the series, is that I he's... Not a perfect player, but he can actually dribble the basketball, and
0: that's potentially useful. Yeah. Yeah. He threw a couple of nice passes. I mean, Embiid did have seven possessions as the role man in pick and roll, although many of those were get the ball on the move, kind of at the top of the key, and then let him uh, attack a little bit. You know, I just don't think that that's where Joel Embiid has the advantage against the Celtics defense, which is great at digging down from the side. Tyce, you know, you'd much rather go into his body in the post than try to face up against him. I don't think Embiid has a huge quickness advantage on. Heist necessarily Uh, and and then joel just had to get his own on the offensive glass where he was uh, pretty effective Uh, so those are like his three main ways of scoring but i mean to only have six post ups for the guy who leads the nba among high volume guys in scoring on points per possession in the post yeah that's that's just not good enough and but you know even horford he's a decent passer but you can pressure him with impunity because it's not like he's gonna like rip it through and drive by you if you're over aggressive particularly if you take away his right hand and so Oh cool yeah they just don't have great ways of getting the ball in there the other thing they always do too is they're always looking for these opportunities like post up Tobias Harris and Tobias Harris doesn't really have a great matchup Tobias Harris only got one post up but he was they're always trying to post him up with Embiid above the foul line or Horford above the foul line. that didn't really work uh and you know Harris was uh totally milk a toast game it's just uh exactly what he's been on this contract you just don't even really notice he's out there and yeah you know what like when Alec Burks on the minimum you acquired for basically nothing like second round pick in the 50s is the guy that you're running your offense through at the end because the guy you paid a max contract to is not capable of doing that that's an issue
1: it, it, it is an issue and, and Harris did have eight assists but they weren't I, I didn't see them as being as like general like value added and stuff as some as, as some other guys they weren't they weren't bad but I, I yeah it...
0: it's not like oh man look at this guy draw the whole defense right. and like dime someone up you don't see that that much right that's actually I mean eight assists that wouldn't shock me if that's like pretty close to a career high for it, a it,
1: it, would, it wouldn't shock me either uh, i want to shift to the young wings of the celtics and something that i sure. i really enjoyed about this game was the difference in the in the shot distributions for tatum and brown so jalen brown's shot distribution was basically Maury ball he he took five shots around the basket eight threes which he made five of those which was so important to his success and then had three shots total in the in-between from floater and two-range jason tatum took a bunch of mid rangers but jason tatum makes a bunch of mid rangers he's good in that in-between area and i thought that the 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 celtics did a great job and you could throw kemba in this mix as well of putting their players in a circumstance where they were comfortable and where they could succeed
0: yeah definitely and i thought tatum he had an outstanding line in this one 30 and 10 32 and 13 i should say overall but it was a 30 and 10 game but three blocks did get to the foul line for 10 of 11 remember that was one of the things that he had struggled with and was 10 to 21 basically anyone other than Matisse Thybul, he cooked him and Tatum got a, a key free throw when they got the switch of Thybul and Richardson Horford did not close Thybul closed for him and Burks closed for Milton but they got the switch Tatum rips it through drives hard to his right hand and uses size advantage to draw foul on Richardson so Richardson not really able to guard Tatum I, I remember Miami Josh Richardson being better against guys like that but I, I think he's he's fallen off a little bit defensive that's part of why they've disappointed uh and then i think just the diversity of attack from boston they did a lot of handoff stuff at the elbows against Embiid with him hanging back so that they could just get these wide open looks for their jump shooters you know, jared weiss tweeted that it's kind of more of their 2017 2018 offense uh, rather than what they've run with the, as many pick and rolls uh, as they do lately uh they also switched up a lot defensively they did a fair amount of switching even against Embiid. then they went to more of a traditional coverage late in the second half that's how Embiid was getting a lot of those roll man possessions but they continued to switch up the you know, the never double teamed impede like immediately on the catch they waited until he put the ball on the floor and impede had five turnovers uh, which he had been better passing out of double teams uh, i think a lot of those turnovers though were those off the dribble plays where they're really good at digging down not necessarily okay. just like put, right out plays of the that didn't
1: initiate around the basket they initiated further right. out on the floor
0: uh, i completely agree there and uh, the rotation for boston you know marcus smart couldn't hit anything but he played 32 minutes and then nobody else off the bench played more than 13 and that actually interestingly enough was Robert Williams who had four fouls uh, as expected but he, he did some things with four offensive rebounds yeah. and, and yeah, he, his, he
1: has a quick jump and he has really long arms so there were a couple of those offensive rebounds where I thought he surprised guys we didn't see any of those surprise blocks in this one but yeah I, I continue to, to like a little bit of Robert Williams they did in the first half Stevens did the matchup game a little bit where Cantor was in when when Embiid was in and then when they switched to Horford they went to Robert Williams I, I understand the idea behind that I'd I Canner, like it was one of those things where i thought he was worse than the numbers early on and then he had a couple of okay moments later but yeah we'll be interested yeah
0: williams playing more than Cantor was maybe a surprise to some
1: yeah but i, I thought williams played better than Canner personally um except yeah. i mean four fouls is, is, is a challenge but um i mean and if and um, which we both believe that um gordon hayward is going to be less available that is going to throw minutes in someone's lap we don't know exactly whose it's going to be it can't really be marcus smart because he can't play much more than he already is um maybe
0: yeah i mean he'll probably start start he played 32 minutes so he'll probably get up to 40 although he's always a candidate for foul trouble to truncate those minutes
1: yeah so maybe some of that goes to Ojale maybe some of it goes to Romeo Lankford who uh it played who played in garbage time but that was good to see because he you know he had that uh, the, I believe it was a wrist issue that he was potentially dealing with so we'll, we'll see where Stevens goes with it I don't think that is as you know missing Gordon Hayward is, is clearly important but the sixers don't exactly have enough to punish weak they don't punish weak links in the same way that other teams do but theoretically the raptors absolutely
0: would and could yeah as much as we talk about philly's offensive limitations they shot you know pretty much average from three and they put up a 111 offensive rating like that's not bad maybe better than expected i mean where they really lost this game is on defense and they did it with giving up a ton of offensive rebounds to the celtics which again that's given the size that they have on the floor a lot of the times that's pretty inexcusable although the celtics are good offensive rebound team. They just have these wings who will kind of sneak in there. Uh, Boston was much better in transition that's going to continue to be the case Philly has absolutely nobody who can push the ball out there whatsoever uh, with no Ben Simmons so continue to look for that I do think we're going to see Theibel in the starting lineup uh, for Horford and really a bummer that they uh, I mean just uh, their two biggest acquisitions uh, I, uh, I mean even their three biggest acquisitions since the Tobias Harris trade and those guys just aren't dynamic enough Richardson Horford and they had Jimmy Butler they let him go obviously he would look pretty darn good in this series Should we talk about what the loss of Hayward is going to do? Though, does that how much does that change your outlook in this series? That kind of went according to form here in this first game.
1: It gives Stevens fewer options. I mean, it especially because when you have an injury, then now Marcus Marcos. Let's assume he goes into the starting lineup. Then, if any of their main guys gets in foul trouble, if they turn an ankle or whatever happens, then it it goes. Those responsibilities go on somebody else. We don't know exactly. I think Great Williams might end up playing more because I think they're going to go in a lot of directions. But also it makes... Offensively, it makes Boston's starting lineup a lot less dynamic. You know, they they lose one of their good ball handlers and scorers, and that gives you know Marcus Smart is aggressive, but that but he is a, a way that an intelligent defensive team can you know take advantage of that from time to time. I, I'm not sure, exactly sure how Philly will approach that, how aggressively they'll like try to bait him into stuff because you'd rather have Marcus Smart taking shots than Tatum and and Kemba and some of the other things. So I'll be I'll be interested in that, and it it's dispiriting if it ends up being the theory the theory that you have. Ends up being right because then we don't get to really see much of this Boston ceiling in the in the playoffs, at least in the first two rounds. And I assume,
0: yeah, the theory being that Hayward is going to miss significant Yes. Time no I, I agree with you i think they're going to be okay for this series particularly having one game one boston and, and they have weathered this throughout the season they're not strangers to this i mean smart is still a capable they have more ball handling and wing scores than basically anyone in the league i think they'll probably get a little better defensively without hayward although hayward did have the four steals today you know, they're going to get worse from a shooting perspective if it's ogile or grant williams or probably probably more brad wanamaker we'll see a lot of that too they can't really extend kemba walker much more you play 35 minutes. I don't think Steven wants to do more than that until they really get in trouble in a series. But Smart can play more. He can handle the ball more as well on the second unit. So I think Philly is going to win games in the series. It's going to be easier for them to do so. I probably would stick, though, with uh, my Boston and six prediction going forward here with them having banked one even uh, without Hayward. And in terms of adjustments for next game, we talked about some of the rotational changes. Getting him beat the ball just with their limited personnel stuff tough. I mean, they, getting him the ball on the a short roll is probably about the best thing you can do but that's just you know he's not really a great pick and pop big man he does these slow motion drives so it gives him a lot, a lot of his turnovers I mean maybe you could hope to kind of just like let him back down a little bit from the wing anymore maybe like some like side pick and rolls going into a post up but it becomes a question of just who's going to deliver that ball maybe especially with maybe Wanamaker getting more time maybe you go Haul Neto just to get a little more passing on the floor like maybe he could throw an entry pass uh, but run a, a little pick and roll into a post up for Embiid but then uh his size on the other end makes him vulnerable in small small pick and rolls maybe you can do that when Tatum is off the floor play Neto a little bit more that he might actually give you a little bit of juice in transition because they have nobody to push the ball up the floor but no these are not Incredibly easy answers. You know, Cork didn't really play much. Maybe get a little more shooting from him can open open it up. But this Boston team is just really good about it. just like if you just want to line up and throw the ball in the post against them, they are just too good at helping. They're too good at disguising their coverages. They're too good at showing you different looks. So I don't know that it's going to get that much better for Joel Embiid at this point in time. And then also, I got to say this too Joel has a few nagging injuries. Like, I wouldn't say that he was playing especially hard in this game. He wasn't fighting incredibly hard for the Deep post position in part perhaps because he didn't think he was going to get the ball but that's where he, he did not dominate physically in this game other than a few moments in the offensive
1: line yeah there, there were some flashes but there weren't there weren't enough of those to to think oh he like that he was the best player on the floor consistently i i didn't think that today other than those those few specific moments and that is a real challenge and my just to put a little bit of a a number on it philly was actually efficient in the transition they got according to cleaning the glass however their transition frequency they only only 7.8 percent of their possessions like it uh started with a transition play that's the terminology that clean the glass uses that is exceedingly low that's less than half of the rate of of the celtics and it's not like the celtics were running super aggressively either
0: all right we'll be back tomorrow gonna have at least three gamers for you at that point uh, nba cast stay tuned on that we are going to do a couple more of week probably not tomorrow night though since we did one today but if you bookmarked that google doc we will tweet that out we'll figure out what that schedule is going to be pretty closely here it seems like that's going to be our live programming for the time being and anything else you need to talk about before we go
1: my off-season preview of the spurs should be coming out in the next day or so uh, i i submitted it today so you can that was interesting i i pre-wrote a lot of parts of that but then teams of course like the spurs and the suns where i was inspired by what they did in orlando and, and fundamentally changed their offseason. I wrote about that, so I talked a little bit about Derek White's development and everything like that. So that, it was it, it was interesting to go through that and kind of see what I wrote and then see how Orlando changed that, how the bubble changed it. So uh, that, was, that was fun. That should be out at The Athletic. I would guess Tuesday, but it might be Wednesday.
0: All right. Talk to you all tomorrow night.